All right, praise God. So I want to let you guys know uh, this message today was kind of like a request. I've only, uh, it's kind of interesting because there's a beautiful verse in Psalm 37.4. You might want to turn there. That's going to be our main ver- verse today. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Anybody ever heard that verse before? How about all the time, right? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's a very, very beautiful verse. The name of my message is How to Get the Desires of Your Heart. And it's, uh, and it's you know, if you look at the title, you might pick it up thinking I'm a prosperity teacher or something like that, you know, unless you know better. <laughs> but uh, he wanted me to look at this verse. He just said, hey, Dad, you know, can you answer this question? Because we do a lot of question and answers. We do a lot of... Uh, you know, uh, on our podcast especially, you know. And he said, because some of us youth are discussing, how does this, you know, how does this verse work out? He had his opinions. He had different opinions and so forth. And, uh, and I said, yeah, we can look at that verse. It's a very misunderstood verse. It's a very beautiful verse, but it's wrongly applied often today in the modern church. And as you look at that verse, it, it, you know, delight yourself in the Lord. We're called to delight ourselves in the Lord. We're called to uh, rejoice in who he is to meditate upon who he is, to long uh, to glorify him. And, uh, we're, and he'll give us the desires of our hearts. And it's interesting because, you know, he wanted to know, you know, and he had his own opinion, but does it mean, does it have a specific meaning in regard to the here and now? Or is it speaking of the future? Is it speaking of all of our desires? Or is it speaking of specific desires or what have you? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tackle that. I'll look at that. And, uh, and, and, it, 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 and by the way, it's not like there's just one answer. There is one answer in regard to what it means. But uh, I said when I heard some of the different opinions, I said actually there's some truth, you know, to, to a couple of different opinions there, in my opinion, you know. Uh, but we'll have to look at the scripture because it's a beautiful verse. And we definitely want to delight in the Lord, amen. And we definitely should be grateful that he wants to give us the desires of our heart when we're delighting in the Lord. That's the key. You understand? Because if you're not delighting in the Lord, your desires aren't going to be right. Right? If you're delight, delighting in the Lord and his foc- your focus is the Lord, your desires are going to be for his glory. Amen? Are going to be surrounded, uh, you know, centered upon who he is. So this is very, very important. But unfortunately today we have a movement that's very popular. It's the most popular version of the gospel in the nation and perhaps the world right now. It's called the prosperity gospel. The name and claimant crowd, the you know word faith movement, it's called, and they teach that we are little gods and that we can speak success into existence. We can visualize our success, and because we're created in the image of God, we too and God spoke and the worlds were created. We can create our own reality. You know, we can visualize our success, even though the Bible nowhere says to visualize your success. That's an occult technique I used to use before I was a Christian, when I was a teenager and got into the occult, not even knowing what I was doing, and I got results. Radical results made me a firm believer, but I also opened myself up to the demonic world. Okay, it's a form of the occult. And that woke me up to the reality, wow, there's good and evil in the spiritual world. And I cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when I went to the scripture, I saw, wait a minute, man. There's not all the self-affirmation and visualization of scripture. God wants me to relate to him as my father, our father who art in heaven. Jesus said, don't pray like the pagans pray who think they'll be heard because of their repetitions. That's what paganism does. It's fun to continuing to visualize and speak things and, and trying to work basically with principalities and powers. 
True prayer, which to me is far more beautiful because you're relying on a caring father who loves us, who, who sent his son to die for us, amen, who's prepared a place for us, who protects us and keeps us and loves us and gives us the best of his will, amen. No contest between which is better. So, you know, but what if the desires of my heart were, because a lot of the word faith movement, they take this as like a blank check. Whatever you want, you're going to get. As long as you're Christian, you know, just, you know, desire it. And if you desire something, you know, you want the biggest car you can have or, you know, the biggest mansion you can have or what have you, God will give you the desires of your heart. And it's interesting because what if I wanted $10 million, you know, and I wanted to live on a private island all by myself because I was just tired of people. You know, and I wanted to just get drunk and, you know, snort coke every day and, and be a drunkard. And I wanted 10 wives instead of one. You know, by the way, one is enough, you know. <laughs> I love my wife dearly, but there's duties involved, right? So I kind of, poor Solomon had a thousand wives. I'm like, dude, poor guy, you know. When you have one wife, it can be beautiful, but you start multiplying, you're going to multiply, you know, your, your, uh, your duties too unless you're selfish, and then it's going to be really ugly, right? And so what if, what if, oh, that's my desire. I want 10 wives on a private island and, you know, $10 million and, you know, or $100 million or whatever, and I want to be a drunkard. What if that was the desires of my heart and I claim to be Christian? Would God give me those things? Yes or no? Wait a minute. It says to let yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. What are you talking about? What's wrong with that picture? Would I, be would I be delighting myself in the Lord at that point? No. It's not that hard to figure out how this scripture has been abused and twisted. Now, it's interesting. God's will is that, 1 Timothy chapter 3, that I have one wife. If, you're gonna, if you don't have, unless you have the gift of singleness. Some people have the gift of singleness. Praise God. Paul had the gift of singleness. And he said it was much better even. Okay? Uh, if you're single. So don't fret and say, oh, I'm, I'm a second-class Christian if I'm not married. No, Paul said if you can... Uh, abide with the gift of singleness jesus said the same thing in matthew 19 first corinthians 7 of uh, matthew 19 it's even better but uh that's not as well for me to have more than one wife in fact to be a leader in the church you have to be a one woman man it says okay what about drunkenness it's god it's god's will that we get drunk don't be deceived drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of god first corinthians 6 9 and 10 be drunk be don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the spirit don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, excess, licentiousness, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. So that's not his will. Is it God's will that I isolate myself on an island and separate myself from everybody? No, he said not to forsake the assembly of yourselves together as the habit of the Son, but gather together all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. Amen? Hebrews chapter 10, verse what? 25. So all those things would be out of God's will, and for him to give the desires, me those desires, if those were my desires, would actually be contrary to his will. He doesn't do that, which is contrary to his will. So something isn't adding up with regard to the word faith or the prosperity gospel's version. And, and the guys that preach the prosperity gospel, you've seen Kenneth Copeland, you know, Benny Hinn, Joe Osteen, Joel Osteen. These guys all, that's the doctrines they preach. And the Bible warns in the last days people would be preaching doctrines like this. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 through 4, preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own desires, they'll heap themselves many teachers, will tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. And their hearts will be turned away from the truth and be turned to fables or mythology. 
But he goes on to tell Timothy, you do the work of an evangelist. You endure hardship. I mean, don't look for the easy way out. He had just said just prior to that, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But he also warned right before that, in the same epistle, that there will be those last days, terrible times, difficult times will come, but men will be lovers of self. And he said, they'll have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Okay? So they'll be living, they'll have a form, they'll look like Christians, but they'll be a counterfeit form of Christianity. Because he goes on to say, like Jannes and Jambres, who withstood Moses, who withstood the truth, who snuck into women's, like these men, sneak into women's houses and lead them astray by, by various desires that they have and so forth. And so we're supposed to see something like a counterfeit form of Christianity in the end, which is based on a form of godliness. And Paul goes on to say in chapter 5 and 6 about those who teach that godliness is a means of financial gain are false teachers. That's what he says. He says, we came into the world with nothing, we'll leave the world with nothing. Amen? Tell us, be content, be content with food and covering. For he says, some have wandered from the faith and desiring to be rich. Doesn't mean God won't give certain believers money. I mean, you look, in the new, you look at Abraham, you look at the New Testament with Joseph Arimathea, and God can bless people, but that's between him and them. But you know, if God made every Christian rich, it would ruin most professing Christians. You know what happens when people win the lottery? I have a whole file on people that won the lottery and just destroyed their lives after that. So we have to be wise and say, hey, Lord, and, and by the way, you know, remember the psalmist, he says, Lord, you know, don't give me too little where I'm tempted to steal, but don't give me too much where I forget you. Amen? Amen. So there's, we have to be concerned about, you know, making sure that we are close to the Lord. I have children, and I have grandchildren now, and if I give my grandchildren everything they want, you know, uh, it would ruin them. Because a couple of them have real, the sweet tooth thing going on. They were just at my house uh, the other day. Holly and Chad went with a lot of the youth witnessing, street witnessing, sharing the gospel. I think they got back at two in the morning. We had all four kids. Great time. But I knew they weren't supposed to have sugar. So it would have also caused a problem with... Uh, with my children, right, or one of my children and my son-in-law, if I start giving them a bunch of sugar. But, and I'm not one of those grandparents who just says, oh, I can, don't care what the parents think. No, I care heavily what they think. And there's one point where Justice said, hey, Pop-Up, can I have this? I said, no, because the rule that's on today, the rule's not usually on, but that rule was on that night. It was in force. But earlier in the day, I mean, can you imagine if you just constantly gave my grandkids, if I constantly gave them, you know, milkshakes and ice cream and candy bars, and what would it be like? after a couple years they'd be sickly you know and they want all kinds of things and they but i know what's better for them their parents know what's better for them than they do amen because we're wiser we've been around longer well god's far wiser and he's been around forever amen he's a creator of the universe i was driving down justice and i took one of my grandkids to go do some errands and uh we're driving down the road and i was like man i wish i could do something quick and cheap. I was driving. So I was like, go home and make a lunch, a, a, a sandwich with lunch meat. And I said, it, I was just driving, thinking out loud out down LA Avenue, not far from my house. And I was like, man, I just wish it was an end out right here, uh, you know, Justice, right here, because it's so cheap. You don't want to eat it in out all the time either. Okay, I eat a lot of other stuff. But I go, man, I wish it was in and out here. It's cheap and it's yummy. And you know what he said? Pop up. He went up me big time goes, Pop, Pop, I wish God would just cause it to rain hamburgers from, from the sky, you know? <laughs> 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 
And I laughed and I said, you know what? That would be pretty cool, but that would be kind of messy too, you know? And, uh, but kids, you know, they want crazy things because they don't see the bigger picture and the fallout. We see the fallout if, if you're older, but we don't see the fallout in our own lives because we see through a glass darkly, amen? But the Lord sees face to face. So he withholds certain things from us because he cares for us. And another verse that's often taken out of context, which has a similar answer when you look at the context to Psalm 137 verse 4, is Jesus' words in John 17, 8, where he says, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's the latter part of verse 7. John 15, verse 7. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's often quoted without the other part. Right before it, in the same verse. Jesus says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That changes things, amen? Because if I'm abiding in him, that means I'm seeking him first, amen? And if his words abide in me, that means his truth is governing my heart, amen? And governing the direction of my life. So if I'm asking for things, it's in accordance with what? My will or his will? His will. And these, these passages that are so abused so often are not hard to understand, I just um, did a message on enforced tithing where you have to give 10%. And a lot of preachers, thousands and thousands and thousands of them, preach from Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 10 in the Old Testament and tell them if you don't give 10%, it says you're under a curse from God. And we just did, we do several podcasts a week and we just did a podcast on is tithing mandatory. Now, we're not against tithing because a lot of people choose to give 10%. Abraham gave 10% before the law was given. Uh, Jacob gave 10% of everything he would get, he told the Lord, followed Abraham's example. That's a, it's a, we're not, the word tithing is not a bad word. It's beautiful. But when you say you have to give 10% and you put people under the law of Moses, which we're not under the law of Moses, we're under the law of Christ, amen? And you, make, you, you put a guilt trip on someone and say they're under a curse, which is what they do often. If they don't tithe, then they're going to be damned. That's a false teaching because Galatians says that's a different gospel when you put people under the law. Because if you have to keep part of the Old Testament law to be, to be right with God and not be under curse, you have to keep the whole law, Paul said. And no one could do it. Amen? That's why the Bible says, or says in Galatians, Paul 1, 6, you know, I marvel that you're so quickly removed from him who has called you to the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is really not another, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach another gospel to you, then that which we preach you, let him be accursed, anathematize. One translation says, go to hell. Anathema means basically in the Greek to be cursed. So we're under a curse if we go back to the law of Moses as believers in Jesus. It's the opposite. And most of the pastors that preach that, they know not to bring people under the law of Moses. But they get desperate. Oh, how are we going to pay the bills? How, we gotta get this? How, how am I going to, you know, whatever goes through their heads. And all of a sudden they start preaching part of the law. Wrong. Well, what happens is a lot of the first word faith teachers do that. Creflo Dollar is one of these guys that takes this verse out of context about, you know, uh, giving the desires of your heart. And Creflo Dollar, we played a clip of him saying he wishes a monitor would go around and every time it came to somebody who didn't pay 10% in the church, it would stop. And everybody would hear that, and it would, uh, and it would be this, this roving robot kind of thing where it would, you know, this, it, would, it would say, thief, 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 to point the people out. Oh, it gets worse. Then we could take him in the back of the church. 
I wish we could whip out our Uzis, he says, and just gun them all down and throw them in a pit and bury them and come back and have church. No kidding, we play. It's like, wow. You know? Wicked stuff, guys. This is the most popular version of the gospel right now, and it needs to be confronted. We need to understand what the scriptures say in context. Amen? And we need to stand for the truth. And the scriptures, I mean, do you know most, almost all the New Testament letters, epistles, were written, I've said this before, they were written to correct bad behavior or bad doctrine. Just go through the letters. And guess what? Go through First and Second Timothy and Titus, the pastoral epistles written to the pastors that are for us as well. Names are written over, there's several different names written. It's not just, oh, well, there's poison in one of the products in the store. I don't want to name the product, though. Name the product so I don't buy it, you know? So it's important that we understand what's going on here. We can differ on things that aren't essential, but when things are essential, and the Bible talks about those, many have wandered from the faith because they've paid attention or they've desired to be rich in this world. And Second Peter chapter 2 talks about those who deny Christ who bought them and they teach sensuality or materialism with stories that they've made up to exploit you with vain words and because of their false teaching, Peter says, the truth will be brought into disrepute. Or as the King James says, the truth will be maligned. That's what's happened in the world today. The non-believers are looking at what's going on on TV with, with all these greedy word faith teachers, prosperity teachers, and they're maligning the truth. They're, 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 the truth has come in disrepute. Well, that's part of it. That's what prophecy says would happen. So we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, amen. We stick close to Jesus and realize, hey, this is part of what's going to happen. But we need to be among those who don't live according to these doctrines, false doctrines, and we live according to the truth. We love the Lord, we love each other, and we trust him, amen. So it's important to understand, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit so that you prove to be my disciples. So in this case, you're bearing godly fruit because you're asking in accordance with his will. I love 1 John 3.22. And we will receive from him whatever we ask. Let's read the rest. Because we keep his commandments and do what is pleasing in his sight. Amen. That means what we're asking is pleasing to him. Amen? And it's in obedience to his word, his commandments. 1 John 5, 14, two chapters later, we read, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything in accordance with his will, he hears us. I love that. I, I love having peace, knowing that when I'm praying, I'm praying according to God's will, and I have the answer. Re listen again. This is the confidence which we have before him. What is that confidence, John? That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Amen? So the context is conditional upon being within God's will. James 4.3 says, And when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may squander it on your pleasures. So if we're, if we're praying about squandering things on our pleasures, and that becomes the focal part of our prayers, or that, you know, that's our heart, and the heart's really not to glorify God, we're in trouble. Jesus told us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's why I love to pray the Lord's Prayer. Because guess what? When I pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It starts with his glory. Amen. And I pray that prayer all the way through. It only takes 20 seconds or so. 
A lot of times it takes longer if you slow down, which I love to do. But guess what? It's, but it's beautiful. I love being in the center of God's will. That's the best place you could possibly be, amen, in the center of God's will. And when you pray in accordance with how Jesus taught us how to pray, that's when you are in the center of his will. You also follow his example. When he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, verse 39, says he went a little beyond them. And this was the, right before his crucifixion, the day before it. And he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Amen? Can you imagine if the Father said, Okay, you know what, son? I'm going to extricate you from dying for the sins of the world. I'm going to send 12 legions of angels, and boom. What would happen to us? Would we be here today? No, we'd be, all be doomed, amen? We follow his example. But the prosperity movement has basically made God our servant. They literally command God. I've got quotes where they take another scripture out of context and they say we're supposed to command God. Like he's a genie in a bottle. You know. Collins' English Dictionary states of the prosperity gospel that it is, quote, a modern version of, according to some, perversion of the gospel according to which the full blessings of God available to those who approach him in faith and obedience include wealth, health, and power. So when we look at, if you want to go back there, it'd be great if you can, uh, Psalms chapter 37, verse 4. Context, you also, always have to remember, context is king. Context is king, Okay. And the psalmist here, in the context, is talking, yes, definitely about God giving the desires of the heart to those who delight in him, but the context has to do with a bigger picture, and deli those delighting in him, delighting in his will, amen? And we'll see that in a moment. Benny Hinn's nephew, Benny Hinn is probably the most popular word faith teacher, prosperity gospel teacher, along with uh, probably Kenneth Copeland and Joel Osteen. His nephew, Kostihin, was his right-hand man, traveled everywhere with him, did all kinds of, you know, ministered with him. But he started to realize, wait a minute, there's a lot of shenanigans going on here, you know. And he wrote a book called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel, How Truth Overcomes a Life Built on Lies. So his nephew wrote this book, came out of it. He's now a pastor. He related uh, to how when ministering with his, his uncle, the delusion that he was under, quote, and stated that, quote, being a Christian means God would give me the desires of my heart. That's what he, and, and, but his understanding was whatever he wanted. I remember being confused, Hin told PJ Media. In our prosperity gospel theology, we command God, we command God to bless us, to give us blessings of health and wealth and abundance. I was viewing my prayers as things God had to do. To me, it was just as simple as believing in faith that God would have to do it because being a Christian means God would give me the desires of my heart. You see, they took that scripture, God will give you the desires of your heart, left out the emphasis on delighting in him, and it turned into a command that God had to give you whatever you wanted. Creflo Dollar states, uh, God knows what we, must, uh, what we want most in our lives and he wants us to have those things right after he quotes He'll give you the desires of your heart for those who light on him. Joel Osteen also teaches that, well, he said, God really wants to bless you. He wants to give you your heart's desire. He teaches that if you visualize something, quote, there's power in what you visualize. Does, do you guys know the verses that say to visualize? You guys know them? They don't exist, okay? 
There's power in what you visualize. Take a few moments each day to visualize things you want in your life so God can bring them to pass. So now this unlocks the door where God answers. Really. Close your eyes and envision, he says later. But the reason you're not experiencing as much as you should is because you're not declaring it. Now he talks about using the power of your words. Words have creative power. When you go around saying, I have favor, people want to be good to me, and supernatural doors are opening. When you make those declarations of faith, you are, changing the ap- you are uh, charging the atmosphere, and your own words can help to bring it to pass. Wow. So Osteen goes on in one message to share about how he and his wife really wanted a certain house. And they began to claim that house as theirs. I don't know if it was the $2.9 million house in Houston or the $10.5 million house uh, in River Oaks, Texas. A 17,000 square foot house with three elevators. I'm not sure which house it was or if it was another house. But Osteen talks about how they'd drive by the house or they'd walk by the house and she would just claim it as hers. Well, it's easier to claim things, by the way, and say it was God that gave it to you you know, when you're making millions of dollars off of books by peddling this doctrine, by the way, telling people how they can get rich off the gospel. So uh, then she got the house. They got the house. Now, if he was doing what he preaches to do, he'd be saying, he'd be going around with his wife saying, this house, we, this house is ours. God, we command you to give us this house. Those kinds of things, you know, visualizing this house is ours and so forth. So he, uh, he goes on to say toward the end of that message, ask God to give you your heart's desire. Invite him to bless you with those things you most love and want. Wow. Osteen has said that if God wants to give you your own house, or that God wants to give you your house, God has a big dream for your life. How does that relate in the first century when the apostles were preaching the gospel to servants in over half the world at that time in the Roman Empire, it's been estimated, were servants or slaves? How does that work for those guys? Does their master just kill over and die and they inherit the house and all the kids so they kids don't get the house either? The, and maybe that house isn't big enough. Maybe it's someone else's master and God just plops him in there. No, that's not, the, that's not, how, that's not Christianity, folks. Now, he says, uh, Osteen says, perhaps you're searching for a parking spot in a crowded lot. Osteen uh, says, say, Father, I thank you for leading and guiding me your favor will cause me to get a good spot. Wow. What if that good spot is at the expense of an old lady that's decrepit and can barely walk? Right? And what if you just had an in-out burger and probably better to walk a little bit? Well, his wife, I don't know if she was doing that or not, but she got a good spot on the plane, but there was a stain on the, you know, the armrest, and she got allegedly very upset and according to the lawsuit filed against Osteen's wife Victoria Harris County Civil Court in Houston alleges that Victoria Osteen quote shoved grabbed and pulled the flight attendants because they didn't clean it up fast enough and and when it was taken to court uh, there was no uh, uh, there was enough evidence for to say it was assault however uh, Osteen was fined three thousand dollars by the Federal Aviation Administration when we start thinking about everything, we're king's kids and we should get the first of everything and in this world, it tends to 
give us a very, you know, selfish way of living, you know, where it's about us. When we're called to deny ourselves, pick up our crosses daily, right, and follow him. We're called to esteem others higher than ourselves, amen? I'm not called to almost run over granny so I could get her spot, amen? We're called to not just consider our own interests, as scripture says, but the interests of others, amen? And you know, I love to get a good spot. I mean, I love to pull into Costco and like, I just automatically just pull the back. I guess I have the opposite complex. I'm not going to get the best spot, you know? And I probably could, I'd love to have the little walk, you know? So I just usually, my wife's like, why do you always just pull the back? I, go, I don't mind walking. It's just a minute, you know? Now give me 15 years. I might be like, park close, baby. I got to roll my wheelchair. Who knows, you know? But hopefully not. But in the occult, this is called the law of attraction. If you remember the movie, the book, The Secret. Now there's a ma- movie that just came out on The Secret, you know, which started with, in the occult, Rhonda Burns and Eckhart Tolle, who Oprah Winfrey's had on over and over again to explicate, uh, or those on the radio show or what have you, to talk about this law of attraction where you visualize and you speak things into existence. It's an occult practice. And that's why she could also have, Oprah Winfrey, good friend, have Joe Joe Osteen on. Do you think Oprah Winfrey's going to have strong evangelical Christians who preach against sin and preach repentance on there and be her good friends? No, because she upbraided a woman for saying that Jesus is the only way to Christ, to the Father. And she spoke, I've shown you that video before. And this is witchcraft, folks. This is the occult. This is new age. However, it's interesting. Benny Hinn actually claims the Holy Spirit told him, quote, that if witches and occultists can speak death by the supernatural power of words, then Christians can speak life and prosperity by the same power. Really? Do we use the same power as occultists and witches and Satanists? No. They're under the power of the evil one. We rely on the power of Christ and his will. Amen. Amen. Kenneth Copeland, one of the leading prosperity teachers, say, people say that is New Age visualization stuff about what he preaches. Well, the New Age is trying to do this. And they get somewhat results out of it because it's a spiritual law. What are these guys doing? They're following occult spiritual laws. It's happening the same power occultists are and saying, well, yeah, of course it works for them. But they're claiming this is Christianity. We don't operate by spiritual laws that occultists. We submit and bow down to our Father. We must become like children, Jesus said, and humble ourselves and be converted to enter the kingdom of God. Amen. And we pray thy, we humbly pray thy will be done. Amen. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now it's interesting when Peter speaks of these false teachers who bring disrepute upon the way of truth, which is Christ as the way, the truth, and life. Because of their materialism, their sensuality in 2 Peter chapter 2. In chapter 3, he talks about how they twist the scriptures to their own destruction, including the things that Paul has written, which I love because he is including Paul's writings with the scripture. And he uses the word to twist or distort, and the Greek word is streblusen. And streblusen sounds more like a German word than a Greek word. It's only found here in the New Testament. And it literally means, quote, to twist or wrench. Specifically, quote, to stretch on a rack to torture. Okay? That's in uh, Moulton and Milligan's uh, Greek vocabulary in the New Testament from the papyri and other non-literary sources. Okay, they take Paul's statements and they twist and torture them just like someone puts someone on the, sta- on the rack and they twist them and torture them to get them to say what they want them to say. These guys will take the scriptures and twist them and distort them to get them to say what they want them to say. In theology, we call this 
eisegesis instead of exegesis. Exegesis is getting out of the text. Okay, ek, out from within. Out of the text, exegesis. You know, what the scriptures say. Eisegesis is ice into, reading into the text, something you're importing that's not there. And when your eye is jaundiced, when the eye is dark and it's greedy and it's not single-minded and focused just on Christ, you're going to twist the scriptures or you're going to accept those twistings of the scripture. And error is very, very deceptive. Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, says, error indeed is never set forth in its naked deformity. He was probably the top apologist along with Justin Martyr of the second century. He was a disciple of Polycarp who was a disciple of the apostle John. Irenaeus said, error indeed is never set forth in its naked deformity, lest being thus exposed it should at once be detected. But it is craftily decked out in an attractive dress, so as by its outward form to make appear to the inexperienced, ridiculous as expression may seem, more true than the truth itself. And that's what's happening today. A lot of people are convinced the prosperity gospel is, is the way of the Lord. And rather than living for the Lord and praying that his will be done and being grateful for how he blesses us and being content with food and covering. And the Lord does bless us, amen? You guys realize you're pretty blessed, amen? I see everybody here is covered. Everybody's got clothes on, right? And guess what? We have hundreds and thousands, actually, of brothers and sisters. Jesus said we would have all kinds of houses and, and brothers and sisters. And some, oh, that means you're going to have 100 houses. No, it means that you're going to be part of a family where you're going to take care of each other, amen? amen? And that blows away having 100 houses, okay? Because you said in this world and the world to come, meaning right now we are blessed. We're part of the kingdom of God, amen? How many have enough time keeping up with your own lawn? But you want a lawn for 100 houses to keep up with? Why? So, interesting. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself with the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's look at the context. Let's look at the first verse. Verse 1, let's back up a little bit and see the context here. Verse 1 says, do not fret. That means don't worry because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers for they will they wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. So the context here is not envying the wicked, which we read about in Proverbs, which we read about in Psalm chapter 73. Remember Psalm chapter 73? Remember Asaph? He starts off in Psalm, it's one of my favorite Psalms. He starts off by saying, truly, the Lord of Israel, the Lord is good. He wants to let you know from the get-go, God is good because he's going to talk about a struggle he had when he was struggling with the Lord a little bit. But he wants to start off by saying, hey, I understand God is good. Let me affirm that right, up, right out the gate with this psalm. And then he says, you know, he talks about, as for me, I almost fell away. I slipped. I almost slipped. Because he said, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he starts enumerating on all the prosperity they have. There's no pain in their deaths. Is that true? No but he's only seeing the positives with the wicked and, and how the rich they are and their eyes bulge and they have everything, it seems. And, and he goes, have I washed my hands in vain? I mean, I'm living a holy life and look how the wicked are treated. But he's sickly. He's going through physical anguish, you know. But he almost fell away because he looked at the prosperity of the wicked. He started coveting what they had and started saying, it's not fair. I washed my hands and look what they have. This doesn't make sense. 
But then he said, then I went into the sanctuary. Went into the house of the Lord, amen? It's funny when you go into the house of the Lord how God will bring correction to you, will recalibrate your thinking, will, will speak to your heart when you start hearing the word of God, amen? Over and over again. It's happened like three or four times the last couple weeks. People come to me, so-and-so thought you, I talked to you before you preached your message. Who just said that to me? Somebody just said that to me at the Wednesday night thing, you know? I get that all the time, you know? And, uh, or someone said, who was it? Someone said to me, Wednesday, she said, I have to go home because you spoke about the importance of fellowship and why you need to be a fellowship. That was Wednesday night. And the sister said, I have to go home now. And on my ride home, I have to explain to the sister I brought how I did not talk to you before the service because, well, I'm not saying the name out loud. She said the name. Okay, but she goes, but you know the story. <laughs> she goes, because on the way there, I was telling her she needs to be in fellowship more. And then your whole message was fellowship. God just brings things together like that, you know, all the time. Yeah, it's the Lord, amen. It's not me. I'm not like thinking, I see she needs this, you know. <laughs> no, it's just the Lord at work, you know. So, but guess what? He goes in the sanctuary. His eyes are opened. And it says the Lord shows them the end of the wicked, how he puts their feet on slippery places, and they fall. They're doomed. They don't have prosperity in the end. But the Lord also shows him who is my portion. You are my portion forever. He says, I may have sickness now as a context. He talks about, but guess what? He talks about how the nearness of his God is more precious than anything else. And that he'll get his healing when he goes to be with the Lord. He may not get in this world, but he sees the bigger picture. And that's what this psalm is about. To let yourself in the Lord, you'll get the desires of your heart. And the idea is that your desires will be what he desires for you, what's best for you, and you'll get the godly inheritance for eternity. I'm not just saying that. I, would, I don't make things up. It's in the text. Let's look. Again, context is king. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. So trust in the Lord. That's the key. Do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Be faithful. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That comes with obedience, right? Faithfulness, you know, uh, doing good. So that's obedience, trust in the Lord. Verse five, commit your way to the Lord, amen? So if I'm committing my way to the Lord, I'm not saying, Lord, I want 10 wives. I want to get drunk all the time and I will live in isolation island. That's not the way of the Lord. That's the way of Jeffrey Epstein. Well, not really isolation, was it? Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as a light. So notice the emphasis is the righteousness. In other words, that's going to be one of the desires we have. He's going to want his righteousness, amen? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Those are our main focus. Those are the main things we delight in. How many want righteousness and peace to rule in your life? Amen. And your judgment as the noonday. Wow. So context. Context is king. Now, it's interesting. Look at verse 9 through 11. For evildoers will be what? Cut off. That's what's happened with evildoers. Verse 9. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Wait, those who wait for the Lord will what? Inherit the land. He's talking about eternity, guys. Jesus said the meek and blessed are those bunch of blessings, right? The Beatitudes. But the meek shall inherit the earth. Amen. And some think meek means weak. No, meek is used of a wild horse that has been submitted and its power has not been diminished, but it's under the bridle and it's used for its master for good purposes. Amen. 
And as meek people, we're supposed to be used and empowered by God for his glory and not just destroy things and run wild. Amen. For evildoers, verse 9, will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Verse 9. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves. Listen to this. And will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. So that context about being delighting, delighting the Lord ends up in delighting in abundant prosperity in the eternal sphere when we inherit the earth. Verse 16 through 18. Better is a little of the righteous than the abundance of the wicked. Do you catch that? Now he's talking about, hey, in this world, we might have just little compared to what a lot of people have. But better is a little of the righteous than the abundance of the wicked. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. Verse 18, the Lord knows the, the days of the blameless and their inheritance and their inheritance and their inheritance is how long? Is, will be forever. That's what it says, will be forever. That blows away anything this world can offer. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And loses his soul. Verse 22. For those blessed by him will what? Will inherit the land. There it is again. But those cursed by him will be cut off. Verse 28. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever. But the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land. The righteous will inherit the land and will dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and the tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. Did you catch that? Verse 30. The mouth of the righteous utters what? Wisdom. That means if I'm delighting in the Lord, I'm going to utter wisdom. And his tongue speaks justice. That means my prayers are going to be about justice. And what? Verse 31. And the law of his God is where? In his heart. He steps, his steps do not slip. That means if I'm delighting in the Lord, man, his law, and in this case, in the New Testament times, it would, it would, it would uh, apply to the law of Christ. It would be dwelling in my heart. I'd be delighted in him. The law of Christ would fill my heart. Let the word of Christ fill you richly. Twice Paul says we have the law of Christ as Christians. Galatians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 34. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. So I'm delighted in him. I'm keeping his way. So my prayers are in accordance with keeping his way. And he will exalt you to what? inherit the land there is again when the wicked are cut off when the wicked are cut off that hasn't happened yet wicked haven't been cut off you will see it though he goes on to say you will see it verse 39 and 40 but the salvation of the righteous is from the lord he is their strength in time of trouble the lord helps them and delivers them he delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they are a refuge in him because they take refuge in him so the lord takes care of us in the here and now as well not you just wait for blessings in the future he loves us now he takes care of us now as well he's a good god amen does this mean god won't bless us now in this world no man if you're a christian you're blessed beyond anybody else amen in fact you know what but a lot of times unfortunately christians judge blessing by material wealth and they don't understand and appreciate spiritual wealth. It says of Jesus that he was rich, but he became poor. So we could become rich. Does he mean so we could become materially rich in this world? No. In fact, to the church of Smyrna, in Revelation chapter 2, under the angels of the church of Smyrna, right, he writes to them how they'll be tested 10 days. 10 days. You'll have tribulation 10 days. The devil casts some of you into prison. He says, 
be faithful to death and I will give you the crown, which is life. And they're a poor church. He says, I know that you're poor, but you are rich. They're rich spiritually. Amen? Amen? If you have the Holy Spirit, guys, you have God living in you. Amen? If you've been cleansed by the precious blood of Christ, you've been cleansed from sin. The Bible says that his precious blood is more precious than corruptible things like silver and gold, 1 Peter chapter 2. Amen? So we're extremely blessed. Our names are written in heaven. Amen? We have an inheritance in the coming kingdom. Amen? Amen. We have an inheritance that does not fade away. Amen? Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. If we're not so, I would have told you. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. The King James says mansions. The word means dwelling places. You mean it's not a mansion? I can guarantee you right now, whatever dwelling place you are in heaven is going to blow away any mansion you could dream up here on earth. Amen? Ear has not heard and eye has not seen. It has not entered into the hearts of men what God has prepared for those who love him. Amen? And there'll be no weeping, no sadness, no being bummed out. I can't believe this is all I got. God, no, there'll be no sadness. Amen? You'll just be eternally blessed. It's exciting. And our lives are very short. Our lives are vapors here, amen? Stay right with Jesus, amen? Seek him. Stay close to him. So it's interesting. As we seek him and we put Jesus first, we become more like him. You know the Bible teaches that, right? The Bible teaches that you become like what you worship. I've done a study on worshiping idols a number of times, and one of the things that always blows me away the most when I study that subject matter, or often blows me away, is how it talks about those who worship idols will become like their idols. The idols have ears, but they can't hear. They have eyes, but they can't see. And that's what happens when you worship idols. You become spiritually deaf, spiritually blind. You become like them. But the Bible also teaches that when you worship the Lord Jesus Christ, you become more like him, amen? amen? We're transformed, it says, into his likeness from glory to glory by the work of the Spirit in our lives and the transforming power of his word as we meditate on his word day and night, man. He transforms us. It's a beautiful truth. And I think it's really interesting that when you look at what this passage is saying, if I'm delighting in the Lord you look at the context of the paradigm of Scripture, you're becoming more like Jesus. And the Bible talks about how God wants us to have the mind of Christ. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He wants us to have the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, humility. But God gives grace to the humble. We resist the proud. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. So as we humble ourselves before him, we look to him, we become more and more like Jesus. And I think that is so beautiful. Because I'll tell you what, I think it's very, very fascinating that the word, the word for delight here, the Hebrew word translated delight in chapter 37, verse 4, delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, is from the root anog, okay? A-N-O-G, anog which means, now listen to what it means. When you're delighting in the Lord and he gives you desire your heart, the root for nog means to be soft or pliable. Means, means to be malleable. Means to uh, be shaped by the Lord. So when I'm delighting in the Lord, that's what the root is. The idea is that when we delight in something, we're changed. We become like clay in God's hands. Amen? Now remember when the Lord said he wanted to fashion a blessing upon his people in the book of Jeremiah chapter 18 
and he takes him to the potter's field and the Lord was making, uh, the Lord showed him a potter making some pottery. And the Lord said, hey, this is how I deal with you, to deal with Israel and the nations. If a nation is doing good and I'm shaping them for blessing, but they become evil in my hands, then I will shape them for destruction. But if a nation is doing evil and I'm molding them for destruction, but then they repent and they seek righteousness, then I will mold them for blessing. Amen? So if I'm delighting in the Lord, amen, and I'm saying, hey, Lord, I want to do your will, he's going to mold my life and make me pliable, amen, not only for blessing, but he's going to give me his heart, a heart like his, amen. It will be men and women after his own heart, amen. We'll pant for him, we'll seek him, we love him. Do you understand that? So it's critical that in your devotional life that you say, Lord, make my heart pliable. Make my heart soft. Help me not dig my feet in the ground. Help me not become hard-hearted. Help me not become stiff-necked. The Bible says those who are often reproved or corrected harden or stiffen their necks and they're suddenly cut off. That's those who aren't delighting in the Lord. They're suddenly cut off. But those who are meek, the meek will inherit the earth, the pros, P-R-O-S-E, pros, the Greek word has to do with being, being bridled or being humbled before the Lord. Then what does he do? He blesses you with all kinds of spiritual blessings. And the material blessings that you'll get in the kingdom to come will blow away anything that, that the enemy could offer you here. Amen? What a wonderful, awesome God we have. So we want to be soft and pliable. That's what it means to delight in the Lord, to allow him to change your hearts and make them Christ-like. And as he, as he plies my heart, as he softens my heart, as I seek him and delight in him, guess what? Before I know it, the more I seek him, the more I desire to do his will. The more I desire to glorify him, the more I desire to live for him, the more I want the things that he wants, the more I'm concerned about the lost, the more I'm concerned about my lost relatives and I want to see them saved, amen? The more I'm concerned about the babies that are dying and the, and the blood that cries out against the hands of the killers, you know. The more I'm concerned about what he says in his word about what's right, amen? The more I want to see people blessed, the more I want to be a blessing to other people. That's what happens when you seek the Lord. It's very, very, very important that we understand this reality. So, I love Philippians 3. Listen to this, verse 7 and following. Paul says, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, this is a man who went around having Christians killed. His name was Saul before he was converted on the road to Damascus. And then guess what? His heart changed. He became pliable in the hands of the Lord. And now guess what he pursues? He counts all those things that were gained for him in the past as dung. The Greek word has to do with rubbish, garbage, even human excrement. He goes, why? Because I count all things to be lost in view, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So the more you come to know Christ, the more you delight in him, the more you want to know him, the more you want to have a relationship with him, the more you want to spend time with him in prayer and in his word, and, and the more you desire to do his will, the more you want to win people, the lost, to him. He goes on to say, for whom I suffer the loss of all, I suffer the loss of all things and count them but rubbish for the sake or that I may gain Christ. Another place Paul says to live is Christ 
or to, to, die, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Paul goes on to say, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from, on, uh, from God on the basis of faith. Do you guys remember a message I did a couple Sundays ago on being clothed in the righteousness of Christ? If you didn't hear that message, I encourage you to hear that. That I may know him. I love this. That I may know him. You're, I would rather know the creator of the universe who is the maker of my soul and the redeemer of my soul more than anything else on earth, Paul is saying. That's my desire. Hopefully that's your desire. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. How many want to know the power of his resurrection? Amen. Amen. Later on, it's called the out-resurrection, the ek-resurrection, out from among the dead, because there'll be the general resurrection, including the wicked will be resurrected. Just as then shall come forth they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation, and they that have done good to the resurrection of life in John chapter 6. But there's what's called the out-resurrection that Paul refers to here, and that's those who are resurrected out from among the dead that are going to perish. And he says... That's a little bit later in the text, by the way. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. A lot of people want to know the power of his resurrection, but they don't want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. But Paul says, if we suffer with him, we also shall be glorified. Amen. Being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. There's the out-resurrection in the Greek. It doesn't translate the word out, but it's that I may attain to the ek resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have become perfect, but I press on. I press on so that I may take hold of for which also I have been laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Amen? Don't dwell on your past. Don't think, man, I wish I was... Uh, you know, a star athlete when I was a kid. Why didn't I do that? Oh, I wish I was a cheerleader. Why didn't I do that? Oh, don't dwell on the past. You forsake the future by thinking of something that you can't change. And Delight in the Lord, man. Be a cheerleader for Jesus, amen? Be a spiritual athlete for his kingdom. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it, but one thing, one thing, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Verse 20 and 21, a little bit later in the same book, same chapter. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Wow. This is what a pliable heart delights in, guys. Delights in his will for our lives. Delights in knowing Christ and making Christ known. Delights in his eternal kingdom. And the fact that we will inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. So we're pliable and we're moldable because we love him. I love this last verse I'm going to read. I didn't say I won't quote more verses. I said last one I read. <laughs> Psalm 1611. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. I love that. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Hallelujah. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That sounds really good to me. I know that in his, ple his presence there's fullness of joy. You know why I know that? 
because the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control, right? All these wonderful things. The things that the world wishes they could have. And many times they're like Pac-Man. You ever play Pac-Man? Anybody ever win at Pac-Man? I remember when I was a kid, I used to love Pac-Man. I mean, it was one of, it was my favorite. I like like asteroids and stuff more, but at a pizza place I worked at as a cook for a while, I'd play Pac-Man, but it was such a boring game after a while because you just couldn't win, you know? At least when you shot a bunch of space invaders with that game, you felt like you accomplished something, you know? But Pac-Man, it's like you just cover, 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 cover. You just lose your money, really. You're not really getting anything out of it, you know? And uh, I'll tell you what. That's the mentality a lot of people have today is a Pac-Man mentality. Jesus says, beware of all kinds of covetousness. Amen. He talked about the, man of a cert, uh, the land of a certain rich man that, that just really prospered radically. And the man said, you know, he basically retired young in his mind. I'm going to build barns and more barns and more barns, basically. I, I, I. He kept saying, I. I will do this. I will do that. He never referred to the Lord. He never delighted in the Lord. And he planned about how and he says, I'll eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I die. Today it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Tomorrow I die. Living for self. And that's what he was doing. And then the Lord Jesus said, that, that God said, you fool, this very day your soul is required of you. And who will get what he had, had obtained? In other words, guys, be careful about planning out your entire future without God. Don't do it. Amen? Say, if the Lord wills. Amen? And Lord, help me live for you and help me re realize everything's come for you and help me live for your glory. And help me, and by the way, when you're living for yourself, you're not going to have joy. You're not because if you're not living for the Lord, you're going to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? But if you're living for the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what you're going to have? Fullness of joy. And forever there's, there's pleasures at his right hand forever, it says. Amen? I'm excited because you and me, all of us who are trusting Jesus right now, we already have the Lord. We already have his love. We already have his peace. We already have his joy. Amen. We can, and you grow in it as you pursue Jesus. And the more you seek him and the closer you get to him, the more you experience his love and peace and joy. Amen. First John says, these things are written that your joy may be made full. He wants our joy to be made full. In the gospel of John, when Jesus said, abide in me and I'll abide in you and you'll bear much fruit and so forth. He talked about those who keep his word. He talked about it's in them that his joy is made complete, John 15. You want true joy? Because you can't get joy. Jesus says that joy does not come, does not consist in the things of what you, uh, in, in your possessions. Okay? That's not where true life is. Jesus said if you save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it, you'll save it. Amen? So I just want to encourage you guys today. We're going to get done a little early because it's getting hot, huh? And I looked, hey, I'm near the end of my message. I don't need to start preaching a bunch of stuff that's not in my message because I, got, I think I got the message. Did we get the message today? Okay, so let's uh, just and shout it out and make it a one, sent one or two sentences because we're still on live stream and praise God for our live stream audience. I'm not sure if you're here or here, but we love you guys the same. But brothers and sisters, just shout it out. Why are you why, what, how are you blessed by delighting in the Lord? How has the Lord blessed you by delighting in Him? What's that? His love, amen. 
There's nothing greater than his love. Amen, Diana? Amen, sister. Who? I heard something over here. What's that? His death on the cross on your behalf. Amen, sister. Way over there. He saved what? He sanctifies us. Amen. We got people scattered way deep out there, you know. <laughs> he sanctifies us. He sets us apart for his service and for his glory. He separates us from that which is evil and uses us to glorify him. Amen. Sanctification and salvation are both so beautiful. Something over here. His word endures forever. Amen. And it's trustworthy and it's always there for us. Amen. She said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Amen. Bob. Good. Thanks, John. He gives us peace that surpasses human understanding. That's a big one. Amen. He, does he do that? Yeah. Be anxious for nothing but in all things through prayer and supplication, right? With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, right? And he'll give us the peace, right? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray. Seek him. He loves us. He cares. What could you want more than a God that loves you, cares for you, and dares to hear from you? Amen. How many could call Donald Trump today? Guess who you can call on today? Anytime you want. The Lord God, which is far bigger and better. Amen. Oh, over here. His grace and promises. Amen. Praise God for his grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Great acronym. We're saved by his grace through faith, not of ourselves, the gift of God, not of works, and we should boast. Amen. We're partakers of his saving grace through faith. We're also partakers of his enabling grace whereby he empowers us to, to do what's right. Gives us power we didn't have before. Amen. And his promises. Talks about in 2 Peter chapter 2 how we have these magnificent promises and become partakers of the divine nature. That's God living in us, the hope of glory. Amen. Anybody else? Daily trials. Amen, brother. Because guess what? Rejoice in your trials because he's using them to perfect you, make you more like Jesus. Tim. That's right. He calls things that are not as though they were. He knows the end from the beginning and he's established. The scriptures say, not, right after it says, we're saved by grace through faith, not, not of ourselves, the gift of God, not works of sin, we should boast. goes on to say, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? We're, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Amen. So he's even planned out things that we could do for his glory. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Greg. Actually, Francesca. Oh, what is it, Francesca? You're behind somebody. You're behind Mike over there. He's a big boy. For strength to endure in time of trials. Amen for that. That's that enabling grace we talked about. But when you put that with the trials... It's extra sweet because we need that. Amen. And he promises to get us through everything. In fact, Paul, when he's in prison, that's when he said, I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. Amen. And we always quote that verse, but we don't realize sometimes he's in prison right there. And he says, I've learned the secret of, and this is not the secret in the occult. This is the secret, the Christian secret. Amen. That whether I'm a base and have nothing or I'm a bound and have everything, right? I'd be content because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even sitting there in a Roman prison writing Philippians, writing Colossians, writing Ephesians, amen, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Whatever trial you're in, use it to God's glory, amen, and he'll enable you and strengthen you, amen. Yes, sister. His righteousness, amen, and we're partakers of his righteousness through faith in Christ. We're robed in it, amen. So guess what? If we pass out communion right now, we'll be done at 1030, and it won't be too hot for you guys. How's that sound? Done 15 minutes early.